Hello, everyone, and welcome to Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes episode number eight. We're back. This is our uh, eighth episode. We're so excited for uh, you guys helping us keep it going. It's been a great time, and now we're getting some – we're hoping that we can get some really good news in terms of sports. And, Jake, I know it's not the sport that we expected to return first, but it looks like the NHL might be on the way to being the first sport to return to uh, play during this summer. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. I actually got into hockey a little bit right before it shut down, watching the Rangers I really like. So they actually expanded their playoff. They're going to shut down the regular season and have 12 teams in each conference go to the playoffs, which is really exciting. My Rangers get to kind of backdoor into the playoffs, which I'm definitely happy about. And I think it should be fun. I think it really opens up the league more, getting more teams in the playoffs. I think it's an awesome thing, and I really hope they're back soon. I know they were trying to get two hub cities, similar to what the NBA is doing, one in Disney World. And I think that NHL is trying to get one city on the East Coast, one city on the West Coast for each conference. Yeah, and it's so interesting to me because, I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere, you know? Like, we'd heard a lot about baseball. We'd heard a ton about baseball throughout this. We've heard a good amount about basketball and hockey had kind of fallen under the radar in terms of they didn't really seem to have a plan for a while. And then all it was very quick almost, you know? Like, yeah. we had – we had it was just like one day we heard that this proposal was going through. The NHL Players Association approved it pretty quickly, which obviously was great that the owners and the players could agree. It's huge for that league. Yeah. And now they have a shot to be the first one back, and I thought this was where baseball was going to benefit in that they could be the first one back and get some new fans who are watching because it's the only sport on. And hockey, I mean, I feel like for a lot of people, myself included, I enjoy watching hockey. But a lot of the times, it's never been the primary sport that I watch. Yeah, absolutely. I'll watch basketball playoffs over hockey playoffs. I'll watch football regular season over the beginning of hockey regular season. Things like that. So now if hockey gets there first, I'm watching hockey, and I know a lot of people will. And I think this is a great opportunity for the NHL. So I think that they're still far away from returning. Like, there's still a lot of boundaries that they have to go through. They still have to pick the hub cities and still a lot to get organized. But I think that they are off to a really good start, a head start on what seems to be everyone else. And I think an important thing definitely for the NBA along with the NHL is you got to make sure your season's wrapped up by the beginning of September because you don't want to have to compete with the NFL for ratings because the NFL owns Sundays, college football owns Saturdays. So you really kind of want to stay in the summer and not have to leak into the fall with the end of your season and compete for ratings. Yeah, and you'd have to wonder the way that the NHL expanded the playoffs, how that how that might look to other leagues, especially the NBA, to be coming into the playoffs, it seems like, or at least uh, shortening the rest of the regular season. Um, just to tell everybody who hasn't known the, uh, the big parts of the thing, the, um, the new resolution for the NHL, is that so you have the qualifying round, and like you said, the, the Rangers, they got that backdoor in. A lot of teams really did get that with the expansion. So it's going to be eight teams playing a best-of-five series. So that's seeds five through 12. Those mm -hmm. teams in both leagues are going to be playing a best of five to see who gets to move on to the next round. And then you'll have the round robin of the top four teams in each conference to see who, um, to see who can uh, have the best. That's for seeding. All those teams are in the playoffs because they were top right. four. But they're, they're just going to figure out seeding through the round robin. And I like that a lot because, yeah. you know, you, obviously with the schedule, some teams have a harder beginning, some teams have an harder, harder end. We see that throughout each league where some teams have a really – some of these teams might have been playing their, their best their, – the hardest parts of their schedule towards the end of the year. So I think it's a good and fair thing that the top yeah, I think teams that's perfect. have to figure it out amongst themselves for seeding and they play each other to figure that out. And then the qualifying rounds, I think that's going to be really exciting hockey – you know, obviously you have teams who you might not expect to be playoff teams having the opportunity. I mean, we'll have younger guys who are in the league having their first shots at the playoffs, and it's going to be really competitive. And I think hockey, you know, basketball, I'm, I'm a little worried in terms of when you get back on the quarter, team's going to be shooting 35% from the field. I don't have that same worry for hockey. I feel like the quality of play is pretty similar throughout the year. Yeah. I think the intensity will be great, which obviously plans to a great atmosphere, even without fans. Yeah. I think what's another good thing about hockey is they're not really dependent on the fans so much. Like, obviously, any sport needs fans, but there is kind of the boards. It's like some real separation there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how different hockey games will be, but we will see. 
Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. We'll see if they can get back first. Like you said, even though they passed this resolution, there's still a lot to do, a lot to figure out. But they certainly took an important step, and we hope every other sport can follow that. So the NBA, like we said, um, they also have kind of really started to get into uh, figuring out what their season is going to look like. And there are a bunch of things uh, kind of going around in terms of where there's what the season's going to look like, who's going to be allowed to play, who's going to be invited to the to the bubble, if you will. Yeah. And um, so on last week around this time, so we heard um, Brian Windhorse of ESPN quoted saying, I really think there's a good chance this is only going to be a 16-team playoff. If that is the case, it opens up the possibility for something that Adam Silver has long wanted, which is to seed one through 16 in the postseason and go that route. There's no excuse for travel or anything like that. So. So I hate that. You hate that. Let's hear it. Ever since I heard them talk about that last year, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I think that what makes the NBA so special is the rivalries. I think we got to take a good look with the Michael Jordan documentary to some of the rivalries of the 90s with the Bulls versus the Pistons, the Bulls versus the Knicks. Then there was LeBron versus the Celtics. There's so much stuff that's just so special about the rivalries and having to get through that one team to get to the finals and even having to get through certain teams. That's how you build rivalries. That's what makes sports so special. And then just to throw everyone together, I really, really do not like that. And I think that – You go, you go, you go. All right. So I think that that's fair. I mean, you do have the rivalries. They're an important part. But what I think uh, – one thing that makes this possible, just like through a logistical point, like they said, no travel – if you do the one to 16, it's all eight, eight teams from the Eastern Conference, eight teams from the Western Conference. So it's not like an imbalance in that in that uh, area. But the reason I like it is because we're, this has been a transition year for the NBA. Well, obviously, we had Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers. They're new, so they really haven't had like a rivalry yet. You know, you've had obviously LeBron this is the first year that he's being the playoffs to the Lakers with AD. And then on the Eastern side, there aren't Kawhi left from the Raptors, you know. Kyrie Irving isn't a Celtic anymore. The Mets don't really figure to be a factor in the playoffs as much. Although, who knows, maybe they can get some of their guys healthy. But Yeah, that would be something. How I mean it, what I'm trying to get at is there aren't really defined rivalries right now. So it's not like the whole year. I absolutely agree with you there, but how do you think rivalries get defined? One play, one game can really make a rivalry. I know the Celtics and the Wizards had a rivalry last year, and it really wasn't much of a rivalry. And then until that Kelly Oubre, Kelly Olenek play, if you remember that a couple of years ago, when mm-hmm. those guys went to battle, and then all of a sudden in one moment it went from kind of just a game to a rivalry, and that's what happens in the playoffs. And then you see them again four times in the regular season, potentially seeing them in the playoffs, and rivalries grow. So I think we are definitely in a transition year for the NBA. So this is when we get the root of all the rivalries, and mixing it up I do not like. But why can't a rivalry happen between an East and West team? Well, I, it can, but I'm saying, what, they're going to play this year, right? If a rivalry comes this year, let's just say the Lakers and the Nets make a rivalry this year. They won't be playing again in the playoffs next year because logistically that doesn't make sense. Once we get back to normal, hopefully by next season, teams aren't going to be flying across country for a playoff series for two months. That's terrible logistically. So this isn't going to be a permanent thing. It just doesn't make sense. But don't you think that this could be something that's so – like? You look at the bracket, and it's just so interesting. The bracket, the new bracket is I, – I, I, I love this idea, to be honest. I think I like when leagues try different things because I think that looking at sports is something that shouldn't change. I'm anti that. I think that things should change and that you should adapt to different situations. And I feel like obviously this season's weird. Like there's yeah. no getting around that. We're going to play all the games in Disney World if you told somebody that. Just a couple of months ago, they would have looked at you like you had three eyes. So, you know, I just think, why not? And you make a lot more compelling series series with this um, with this playoff bracket, I think. But how do you make more compelling playoff series? Because I think the best four teams are going to come to the top. I think every year in the NBA, the first round is not very competitive. You mostly get sweeps. You'll get one or two good series, no matter how you set up the playoff bracket. Then I guess the semifinals, it's going to be the top eight teams. So is there any more interesting matchups that you're getting by combining the top eight teams into one thing? I, I, I don't know. Because I was really excited to watch Boston play Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, maybe a lot of rivalries coming back together, which I was excited to see. Well, I think that you look – I mean, you say the first round isn't always that interesting. I think under this, it's very interesting. I mean, you have Boston and Philly playing each other. 
without that, we talked about that series without home, without home court advantage. How does that change the series? That's so, that's, that's so interesting to me. And then you have the winner of that playing the Clippers. That's just different. And I think that the difference will be so interesting. When do we see the clip? We'll never see that again. It's something for the first of its kind. And I think in a year where there's a lot of revenue to be remade from all the lost games and lost uh, fans, obviously, because you don't have that revenue from getting fans in the seats. I think it could be something that attracts more people to the NBA, seeing that they're going with something yeah. different. I think it's definitely interesting. It's definitely an intriguing concept. I just I think that sports leagues are built on rivalries, built on the idea that you're going to see that you got to get over that team. You're going to play that team every year in the playoffs. You're battling them four times in the regular season. And I just think that that adds to the competition of the series. I think even them being closer cities can help build the rivalry. And mm-hmm. I think that this is the year where we could – see some rivalry solidified even if this was a normal season I know that Boston Philly series which are actually going to get either way will be hyper competitive so I think it's really exciting but I would I stick with the old-fashioned I guess I am old-fashioned in that sense and I don't love change but I don't know so we have that and then we also have the um that's not the only thing that the only uh possible resolution there are a bunch of different things being thrown out, and a lot of them center around the uh, complicated Western Conference playoffs right now. Because yeah. you look at the wet, you look at the East, the top eight teams. I think the Wizards are the closest to the AC, and they're five and a half out. So unless even in the regular, if we were in a regular season, there wasn't much time for them to make up that ground. They probably there was very high chance unless they got extremely hot and the Magic or the Nets got extremely cold that they weren't going to make the playoffs. So the East, you go into the playoffs right now, it's really not that big of a deal, you know? You, you, it's probably the same as yeah. it would have been. For the West, on the other hand, it's, 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 a, it's all clustered up. Because you have the Memphis Grizzlies, obviously, led by John Morant. They've had a great year. But they were kind of hitting that strength of their schedule yeah. right, when the playoff, right when the season got delayed. And then you have teams like the Pelicans, the Trailblazers, even the Sacramento Kings and the Spurs who are right around there, three and a half games out, four games mm-hmm. out. I think all four of those teams are no more than four games out. Yeah. And all those teams felt like our schedules were getting easier. Memphis's was getting harder. This is ridiculous. I, I, I love that idea. I love the idea of them potentially playing a playing game, maybe 7, 10, 8, 9, 6, 11, those seeds in the West. And I think that I agree with you what you're saying with the schedule thing. But the thing that I really want to see is I miss basketball. I miss those superstars. So I want to see guys like Zion Williamson and Damian Lillard play. And I know a lot of people have a problem with this, the superstar bias. But the superstars make the league money. Zion and Damian Lillard make the league money. And they make the league more entertaining. So I have no problem with seeing them play in the playoffs. And that's something that I'm really interested in. I hope ANBA goes with that. Well, so – where I think that obviously I think you're right in that sense. Dame Willard, we saw what he did in the playoffs last year. If we get something like that this year, that would be so so awesome because he's just a sick player. And then you have Zion Williamson. He was putting on he was putting up a show before the season yeah. got suspended. Everybody was having such a good time watching him. But I, I again have trouble just because it's like I, I don't know how you work it out. Like, do you have just the, those four teams, and then you have, like, 12 Western teams, eight Eastern teams? Do you do – I've heard – Well, no, no, no. It ha- it's going to be the same in both conferences. It's going to be – I think what we're going to see is the seven seed in, is going to play the 10th seed, the eight seed is going to play the nine seed in both conferences. And I think those teams in the Eastern Conference are going to get lucky if they do this. I don't know if they'll do this. I hope they do. But if they do, it has to be the same in both conferences no matter what. Yeah, and also they're talking about a pool play situation. Adam Silver's been floating that around. I'm really not a fan of that. This is not the World Cup. This is basketball, yeah. not soccer. I think that's a stretch. I think I I do not think we're going to be seeing that. I don't. Yeah, think that's that, that would be that would be a little too much difference for me. Even it would I definitely like. be interesting, but which it's just a very unrealistic thing. It's not. It's not the World Cup. Yeah. So then, right as we were kind of starting our show, it it came out that Adam Silver was informing the owners that his target date was July 31st. So, I mean, I think that's a little later than we hope, but if we can get it by July 31st, that's a, that's a plus, you know. So, and it's according to uh, this, uh, all the sources who are uh, there, Woj and all those reliable sources, it seems like there will be – the, there's not – the rest of the regular season is done, it seems like. There are 72 games remaining. They're not ever it, – it's a very, very small possibility that all 30 teams are brought back because – 
what's the point of having seeing the Knicks Cavs game for no for no uh no exactly. playoff and that just puts more people in the bubble the more people yeah. you have to test I think it seems like the everything is everybody everybody the owners are all in agreement not all in agreement because I think some of those GMs and owners want to see their teams play and let them develop yeah. a little more but it seems for the most part most of the executives believe that um that you shouldn't have teams playing meaningless games. It makes the health part of it so much more difficult. And um, today, Michael Jordan advocated for player safety, and he said um, that he thinks that meaningless regular season games are really not a smart thing, and that's one of the things that moved the needle a little bit. When the GOAT speaks, everybody else yeah. listens. Yeah. So, um, I'd, like, I'd like some preseason games though, or something. I, we know there's going to be another training camp. But I think that we definitely need to make sure players get back into shape a little bit because that's really an even bigger injury risk, like coming off your couch after four months and coming into playoff-level basketball. That's just something that we can't do. So we yeah. need to make sure that the training camp and maybe get a couple exhibition games going. Before yeah, the season starts I off. definitely think that should be an option. And also Shams was saying that it's, right now it's between 16, 20, and 22 teams. So we don't really know who would be the 22 teams. If it's uh -huh. 20, are you returning two teams from the East who, like, are you returning the Wizards and the, and the, and the uh, Hornets when they were much worse than the Spurs and the, uh, who, the Kings? Like, it's just, it's a hard thing to do. This yeah, and I really, but I really think, though, it's really hard to speculate what's going to happen. I think even the powerful people, like the owners and Adam Silver, who would have the best sense, really still don't even know. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things need to be put to a vote, and there's a lot of decisions that have to be made before we even get a real glimpse at what's going to happen. But I think the only thing that we know for sure and which makes me really happy is that we will be able to crown a champion this year, which is very If we can crown a champion, if we can get some good playoff basketball, you know, that's like a sports or a return to normalcy. We obviously want to see sports. I think even people who don't love sports want to see sports back because it means things are kind of getting back to normal a little bit. And I'm, I'm excited to see these playoffs because I think this unique situation will bring out some really interesting, interesting situations. But while the NBA and the NHL seem to be making a lot of headway, the MLB is almost like the uh, the misbehaving little brother. It seems like you know, there's it's it's really it's a mess right now in the MLB. Yeah, I mean it's not really. I think that unfortunately we had a lot to talk about with the NHL and the NBA. There's really not much. They're kind of at a stalemate. The owners and the players can't agree. They can't really figure out what they're going to do. I remember about a month ago on the show we were talking about how the MLB is getting ready to do what the NBA wants to do and have like a bubble. And they still haven't made any further talks. The players want to get every penny that they're owed. The owners want to keep as much as they can. It's just really confusing situation. And it does not look like it's going to be getting better anytime soon. So yeah, the last time we did talk about this, we were talking about the revenue sharing idea and that kind of, that went over poorly. The, the player association was not ready to, split revenues with the owners when they're already getting their salary cut 50%. So the MLB took that. They kind of came up with a new thing. And this one was interesting to me. So essentially what Je Jeff Patson saying, he's ESPN's lead baseball reporter. So your highest paid players would receive le perhaps less than 40% of their salaries for the full season, but players making the league minimum would get all or most of their prorated salaries. So mm -hmm. I don't really have a problem with that because I think that that's similar to kind of how we run the government as we tax the people who have more money. We tax them more and they still end up getting paid the most than the people who are making less get paid, get taxed the least. So I think that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's definitely – I think that it's – listen, I think that baseball's in a sticky situation because they're – I don't think baseball's outlook was pretty before all of this, you know. Yeah. I thought – I mean, you watch a baseball game, they're just – the Miami Marlins have averaged 27% attendance. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I can't it, really Baseball's a little messy. I, I, it's, it's getting slow. I think that the new generation, uh, like our generation, like me and you, we go to school. We're, we're, we're high school students. People don't really talk about baseball that much. We're talking oh, about yeah. basketball. We're talking about football. Baseball isn't something that's really – super interesting to all the game needs to be right yeah now. i agree i think the game is due for some changes and i think that hopefully in the coming years when all of this dies down they'll make changes to the game but when a sport that's already kind of dare i say dying kind of is even in a better worse spot with this whole coronavirus thing it's really just the perfect storm for them yeah and it's it's 
for me, it's interesting that I thought that this this um, would really maybe appeal to some players because, uh, first of all, just from a PR standpoint, if you're a Bryce Harper, if you're a Manny Machado, if you're any one of these guys who's got Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, just like naming some guys who have major contracts, can you really complain? Like, obviously you can. You're taking a lot off of your salary to risk to because it is a risk playing. You might You have families. You could have people – in your life who are high risk. And I understand those risks. And I think that they're very valid, but if you're still making a lot of money, I mean, if you told most people in America right now that they could go and make $7 million to play a game, they, I think they take it. And then you give the people who are making a minimum salary. I mean, if we look at it, obviously a minimum salary is still a lot of money, but it's not anything. It's not crazy. You know, if they, if you really cut those salaries, then it's, it really doesn't make sense for those guys to come back and play. So I think this is as fair as it can get, but maybe the owners aren't budging enough. It's really it's a tough situation. Yeah. I think we really just got to kind of keep posted and we'll keep you guys updated as we know more, but it's a tough situation right now. It looks like we're a while away from seeing baseball games played again, so who really knows what's going to happen. Yeah, and Marcus Stroman, Mets pitcher, said something along, tweeted something along the lines of, I don't think we're having a season. I'm staying ready. It seems like the pessimism around the players is growing, and the same thing with the owners. So um, a one, an, MLB, an MLB source said something on the lines of one of the people who's involved with the MLB's proposal, so he's on the owner's side. He said, we made a proposal to the union that is completely consistent with the economic realities facing our sport. We look forward to a responsive proposal from the MLB, MLBPA. And um, what sticks out to me, that was reported by Joel Sherman, that quote, um, what sticks out to me there is the uh, what's the economic realities facing our sport. Like we were saying, the MLB is not in a good situation from what it looks like from the but no one really is. I think it's more the econo- economic realities of the world. And mm-hmm. I think that people need to be understanding. And that's one side. I'm on the owner's side where I agree that you guys who are making $40 million, you can't make $40 million this year with what's going on in the country. And that needs to be fixed. So I see what they're saying there. So then it's, it's, that's all well and good. And then to add fuel to the fire of the players, you have Scott Boris, who's the super agent. He's well known for um, kind of being the thorn in the side of owners throughout the league. He's a tough negotiator. He gets his clients big deals. He's represented multiple, multiple, multiple big uh, free agents. Most free agents who sign those huge deals, at least half usually it seems like are represented by Boris. And he kind of said, this was his exact quote, and I thought it was super interesting. He said, the owner's current problem is a result of the money they borrowed when they purchased their franchises, renovated their stadiums, or developed land around their ballparks. Owners now want to take players to take additional pay cuts to help them pay these loans. They want to bail out. So what he's saying here is, the owner's messed up. Why should the players have to, why should my clients have to cover for something that the owners did wrong? I agree with that. I, I think it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of sides to this. It's really a shame that there is such a partisanship, bipartisanship with these two groups right now. And I think this guy is very biased when he's speaking as he's trying to get his money because he's getting a cut like the, of the yeah. players' money. So he wants to get as much money as they can. But I think that that is very true, that the issues the owners have, they can't really take that out on the players. And I think that's going to be really hard for the MLB to resume because there's contracts. These players have contracts. So if they're not willing to violate their contracts and take a pay cut, it's going to be a very tough situation. Also, another option is that a lot of players want to kind of pro, like not defer the salary. So you'll take, we'll take less this year maybe, but we want that salary to be distributed through the rest of the years. And that's just a whole nother thing. That's, I, think, a, that's, that's, I think that that's probably the most rational solution. And I think that the owners, these guys are billionaires, and I understand that the cash flow for everyone is tough right now. So I think that that's the agreement that will finally come and saying, I'll take my pay cut this year, but we signed a contract for a certain amount of dollars, certain amount of years. And over the course of whatever the years are, I want to get my money, and I don't have a problem with that. And I think that the owners should be willing to do that. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes out, everybody's going to have to compromise. You yeah. Know? That's, that's the way it is. You need to compromise if you're not going to play as many games. You're playing half a season. You're obviously not going to get your, your, cut, your complete cut, both sides, the owners and the players. And it's going to be really interesting, but uh, it, if there was any sport that I think will pack it up and just wait, it could be baseball. And I think that would be really unfortunate for the league. A lot of lost money and a lot of 
a re- that would really threaten the game, I think. Yeah. So um, there's obviously um, – we obviously have these uh, situations. We're uh, hoping to get back to sports. And now some uh, debate about our sports. And you know we're huge football fans. We haven't heard anything about football. In terms yeah, it's been of, a little bit of a dry period. A little bit of a dry period. But, you know, we just wanted to do some, uh, some fun debate to start our football segment out. And, uh, Jake, who do you think the best running back in, in football is? I actually don't even think this is close. I think this guy backed himself up this season. I think he's a beast. Derrick Henry's the best running back in the NFL, in my opinion. I think if you look at the success he had with what he had around him, it's really unmatched. He got his team to the AFC Championship and was winning that game. So he really very well could have been playing in the Super Bowl. I think he's been a beast down the stretch. He did everything he needs to do. He's just a specimen. I think he's the best running back in the game. Hey, man, I mean, I love Derrick Henry. This guy, he's awesome, you know. I can't say anything bad about him, although I did draft him in fantasy the year before he went off, so I'm a little, I'm a little sour about that. I wish I had him this year. But I have, to, I have to go with my boy CMC, Christian McCaffrey. That dude is nice. He's crazy. I know, his team stunk this year. Are we going to blame the running back for the team stinking? I don't think – I think that we've learned that a great running back sometimes can't get you over the hump regardless of how good they are. But I don't know how you could say Derrick Henry's better than Christian McCaffrey when Derrick Henry is – maybe he's a better runner. I mean, the, the word is running back, and he might be the better runner. But what Derrick Henry can't do the other things that Christian McCaffrey can do. Come to – talk to me, Jake, when, when Derrick Henry has an 1,000-yard receiving year. You, did you hear what you just said? I, I, you'll have to go back and watch that later. You said you can't expect a running back to get his team over the hump. And Christian McCaffrey cannot get his team over the hump. And I agree with you there. But my man, Derrick Henry, got his team over the hump, got his team over multiple humps. And that's what they find a successful player. Anyone can put up stats in an offense where you're getting touches like crazy. They're dumping off the ball to him. He doesn't have a real quarterback around him. He's getting the ball a lot of volume. Derrick Henry gets the job done and wins games. And I think that he's better than Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey's flashy. He's fun to watch. He can do a lot. But when you need a running back, I'm starting a new team and I need a running back, there's no one I'm picking above Derrick Henry. I actually have a couple guys above Christian McCaffrey, but we won't get You're killing me here, Jake. I mean, come on. I love him. I love McCaffrey. I love watching him play. Look at what McCaffrey – I understand. You're saying he doesn't have a quarterback as that that should go against him. Do you understand – by the second half of the season, there were probably 12 guys in the box against the Panthers team. Do you know how bad Kyle Allen and Will Greer were for the last eight games of the season? He was by himself. He was doing everything. They weren't good. He wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing it. They weren't winning games. It wasn't like he was winning them games like Derrick Henry was. I watched Derrick Henry win two playoff games almost by himself. So you think if Christian McCaffrey replaced Derrick Henry, the Titans wouldn't be if we if we played Switch, you think there would be different results? You think Derrick I don't know I don't know if there would be different results in Carolina, but I know for sure there would be different results in Tennessee. There's oh. no way Christian McCaffrey wins those games that Derrick Henry won. That's absurd. Christian McCaffrey does the same things on the ground, and then when it's third and ten, when Derrick Henry is either sitting on the bench or being relied on as a blocker, Derrick, Christian McCaffrey's in the slot catching first downs. Like Derrick Henry gets the job done. I think Christian McCaffrey's a Swiss Army knife. He can do a lot, but we're talking about a running back, a guy who can run the ball and pound the ball. That's what you need to do in January to win playoff games, and Derrick Henry can do that. Christian McCaffrey just cannot run the ball like Derrick Henry can. But the modern running back is more than just a running back. I agree with you. I well, think to be an elite running back, you need to be able to catch the ball. Derrick Henry had 18 catches last year. Christian McCaffrey had 15 catches in a game. Yes, but also, though, Derrick Henry sharing the backfield with Deion Lewis. If you put another guy with Christian McCaffrey there, he's not getting as much um, numbers as he is. So McCaffrey had a lot more volume than Henry had. So I don't really know what you – I don't think so. But the reason, that, the reason Deion Lewis is there and the reason that they keep a guy as another compliment is because Derrick Henry can't do certain things that Christian McCaffrey can do. You can't rely on him in certain situations. And I think that to be the best running back in football, you need to be able to do it all. And I You're think right. McCaffrey can and, do it all. But there's a lot of things that Christian McCaffrey can't do that Derrick Henry does. Okay, let's hear. Win. 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 <laughs> I can't. It's, it's a team game. The Panthers are terrible. They were bad. 
They were really bad. The quarterbacking play was Ryan, bad. Ryan Tannehill is far from an elite quarterback. He's Derek. not an elite quarterback, but he's a good quarterback. He's much he's better than average, Kyle he's Allen. He's an average quarterback. He was throwing 100 yards a game in the playoffs, and Derrick Henry was putting the team on his back and winning games. Okay. Derrick Henry's great, but I really don't think there's – I think that you're – Christian McCaffrey still had 1,400 rushing yards. He still can do it all. He still can do so much volume. There's no other weapons there. And I get that he's getting the box stacked. I understand that. But there's really no one else who the offense is surrounded around there. There's, it's just everything's going to Christian McCaffrey. Everything's through Christian McCaffrey. The volume that he's getting is crazy. Yes, I understand that. But, I mean, the, the Titans pound the ball. It's not like Derrick Henry doesn't get volume. The, reason, the volume that he doesn't get – the volume that he does, he led the league. He led the league in rushing yards and rushing attempts. That's awesome. But to say the volume thing, the only reason Christian McCaffrey gets volume that Derrick Henry doesn't get is because he's a competent receiver, which Derrick Henry isn't. He's never really had to be tested. I'm sure Derrick Henry could catch the ball. He could do what he needs to do. And I just think though, third down, third and two, there's no one I would want on my team. And in a passing league now, I understand that what Christian McCaffrey does. But a running back needs to be able to get you a first down on third and two. And that's what Derrick Henry does. I mean, I think both guys can get two yards on third down if that's what if that's what. Yeah, we're but if, but if you're picking one guy, who do you want? If I'm picking one guy for a third and two, I'll pick Derrick Henry. If I'm picking a guy for the whole game and the whole season, I'm picking Christian McCaffrey. It's really just hard for me to pick another running back other than Derrick Henry after watching that game against Baltimore. A huge upset, a playoff game while Christian McCaffrey was on his couch. I watched Derrick Henry manhandle the best team in the league. Okay, okay. Listen, Dar- what Derrick Henry did this year is incredible. I'll give you that. But long term, if I'm thinking, who am I starting my franchise with? Who's the best running back for? Fine, we're not talking long term. You're right. You gave me, you gave me the eye roll. Don't think yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah. I, but I just feel like when you have a guy like Christian McCaffrey, I don't think he's a – like even if you cut his volume in half, he's still, he's still getting five yards of carry. It's not like he was getting 3.6 yards of carry. He's great. I'm not saying Christian McCaffrey's – bad I think he's the third or fourth best running back in the league I just don't think that he can do what Derrick Henry does and I just I just it's really hard for me to say a guy's great when he's on a losing team like I understand a running back's a position where it's really not going to translate to victories but it's just really hard for me to say a guy whose season was over in October and kind of was their offense was just to get Christian McCaffrey fantasy points is such a great running back that's just the one thing that bothers me Okay, but his his production that you have to remember the Panthers did start five and three on the back of Christian McCaffrey. The fact that he had that team at five and three was impressive. And then once the losses started to pile up, his volume did go down. They weren't using him as much. So even the incredible stats that he put up, he could put up more. And you know what I'm gonna say? I think that not only do I like Christian McCaffrey more than Derrick Henry, I don't think Derrick Henry can do what a Saquon can do because you just Derrick Henry's one dimensional. I agree with one dimensional. But he's great on that dimension. He's maybe if he continues so he's going, he could be the best running running back ever. The size he has is dominant. I understand he's a huge dude. He's hard. To, he's impossible to bring down. But when you have two guys with both of these guys had their best year by far last year. Derrick Henry had some. They both had flashes. I mean, McCaffrey had shown more prior to the season. But Absolutely. But so both these guys had their best year. They put up similar numbers rushing wise. Derek, Christian McCaffrey proves to be, if he was a wide receiver, he'd probably be one of the better slot receivers in the game. This is where he's like, he's, for me, as a guy who watched the Steelers so much, he's like what Le'Veon Bell was times, times two, you know, where you had Le'Veon who could ground the ball, he could pound it, he could break out those big runs, then you could put him in the slot, you, can, you have throws to him. And this year, I think now that they'll have at least a competent quarterback, I mean, I know we aren't super confident in Teddy Bridgewater, and I don't think the Panthers are ready yet, but in the next couple of years, we saw Christian McCaffrey get paid. He's going to reward that faith. He's going to continue to be the best running back in football. Well, we've seen the running backs have dropped once they've got paid, though, so we'll see what happens with that. Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley both had down years after they got their big contracts, so who knows, but we're not going to get into that right now. But Yeah, and Christian McCaffrey also has to put the whole – franchise on his back <laughs> yeah but he didn't he didn't take him very far on his back and I think if you want to break down the numbers obviously Christian McCaffrey's the most accomplished running back this past season in terms of numbers but if you're the eye test it's just Derrick Henry the guy who got it done in the playoffs Derrick Henry 
So if you need a little receiver, I'm probably going to pick a bunch of guys above Derrick Henry. But that's not his job. His job is to run the ball in that offense, and he does but, that better than But the modern else. NFL running back is also a receiver. You, well, the old-fashioned the old fashioned NFL running back did a lot better than the modern NFL running back did this year, right? Yes, that's fair. We are going into a more – I will admit that there is a way – there is – the league is becoming – in a way, more run-oriented, more ground than pound. But I just don't understand how you could say Derrick Henry is better than Christian McCaffrey when Christian McCaffrey does one thing almost as good as Derrick Henry, and then the other facet of his game is ten times better than Derrick Henry. You're talking about the other facet of the game like it's 50-50, and it's not. Your job is to run the ball, and if you can catch the ball, that's a plus. But if you're a great runner, how can we fault the guy for not being a great receiver? Most teams have two backs. He has a guy who does the receiving for him. All he has to do is run the ball. All he has to do is be the running back, and he's the best in the league at doing it. But I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's 50-50, but I'm saying it's not like Christian McCaffrey has 20 more catches, 30 more catches than Derrick Henry. He had – I'm not going to try and do math right now because uh, uh, that's, not my, that's not my specialty, but it was 70 to 80 catches more than Derrick Henry. It's just a totally it's, – it's, to, it's yeah, but, not comparable. But it was just not like a – it was just little dump-off passes, little screen passes that they could have gone to Derrick Henry too. If Derrick Henry was in that system, I don't think he's obviously going to get the amount of catches McCaffrey had. But if he was Christian McCaffrey and they were calling the same plays, he's going to have just almost as many catches. It's just the system. But Derrick – like you said, it's not like they're throwing – it's not like Ryan Tannehill is throwing 30-yard bombs every play. There obviously were opportunities. Ryan Tannehill throws short passes. If they thought that they could work Derrick Henry in as a receiver, they would, but you can't because that – They don't need to. They don't need to. They've won. They were one half away from the Super Bowl without Derrick Henry being able to catch the ball. And that was not the reason why they lost because Derrick Henry couldn't catch. But I feel like it's just discounting – I just don't think it's special what McCaffrey does. It's not like McCaffrey's going down the field and making incredible catches. He's standing next to the quarterback, and the quarterback's dumping it off two yards to him. Like, it's really not that hard to do. Okay, he's dumping off two yards, and then McCaffrey's putting putting nasty ankle breakers on three guys and going for touchdowns. Yeah, not every time. Like, once every couple weeks he's doing that. He's, He's dirty. He's a safety valve. That's important. Like... Listen, last year was the was everything went right for the Titans. Ryan Tannehill played in. He played as best as Ryan Tannehill has ever played. You could get a Derrick Henry had his best year, and I think that next year, when things aren't as rosy as they were this year, and things don't just magically come together like they did, we'll see some holes in Derrick Henry's game, like when they can't use him in third and longs, like when he like when Ryan Tannehill needs that safety valve and Derrick Henry can't do anything. When he's they had Deion Lewis to do that. Deion Lewis is on the Giants, Jake. That's my bad. That's that's a silly that's a silly move by me. <laughs> I should I shouldn't have called you out, but I had no. to. I had to. It's a silly move by me. You're, you thank you for calling me out. Silly move by me. My apologies to the viewers. And I think that's a, a good way to end the argument because obviously we're both very entrenched yeah. in our uh, in our opinions. But you know, I think somewhere where we might agree is that uh, Dak Prescott is one of the uh, the um the most the, a person who I envy. I'll say that much. I envy to be Taft Prescott being offered to be the highest-paid quarterback in the league and saying, I want more. Uh-huh. Well, I have a lot of thoughts, but not that, not too strong opinions. I'm really just intrigued and confused by the whole thing. I mean, do I think Dak Prescott is worth what he's asking? Absolutely not. Do I think he's going to get what he's asking? I think he's going to get pretty close to it. So how can we fault him and come out and yell at him for getting his bag, which he's going to get. Jerry Jones is going to pay him, and he's going to make a big mistake, but I don't think that Dak Prescott's someone who should be getting blamed like he is in the media because he's going to get paid. Yeah, I mean, we can't hate him for, for getting the bag. Like you said, everybody's trying to make money. I mean, he wants to do it. Hopefully he does some good things with that money, but that's not our business. Our business is, do we think that I, – I, I mean, Absolutely I not. Absolutely not. I think that if – let's just say, right, $40 million. Dak Prescott's going to get paid. I, that's what I think is going to end up happening, and I think that's going to be terrible. And then Andy Dalton's what? One year, seven million? Three, something like that. I think it might be incentives to seven million, but I think yeah. the piece is three. So it's whatever it's worth. So under seven million dollars, you cannot tell me that Dak Prescott is thirty-three million dollars better than Andy Dalton. I don't even know if 
Dak Prescott's better than Andy Dalton personally. All right, all right. That's a little that's a little dramatic. <laughs> I don't know. I like Andy Dalton a lot. I know you're positive about Dak. I know you're not a huge Dak guy, but you're definitely positive about Dak. I don't know. I think Andy Dalton does a lot right, and I think that let's just obviously this is unrealistic, but I think if you put Andy Dalton in that position and then you could beef up more spots with that $30 million that you saved by not paying Dak, I think that you're a better team than you are by paying Dak. And the goal is to win Super Bowls, not to make your players happy. And I agree that it's a huge, it's a huge thing. It's a huge, um, it's a huge disadvantage when you're paying your quarterback that much because you, you everything changes. You know, you can't beef up. What, what do we know? What have the Cowboys been known for over the past decade? They've been over a strong offensive line, running the ball, and having solid quarterback, solid quarterbacking from Dak Prescott. And you know, everything is in context. So you have Dak, Dak Prescott doing a great job when he's under. I mean, he already gets criticized because he plays in Dallas. So mm. you have him doing his job on a rookie contract. He had his best year yet last year, almost 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks, very solid stats. Solid, yeah. solid. Yes, yes, yes. Y'all let me finish. Y'all let me finish. But then when you pay him $40 million, the whole game has changed. Everything's different. If he puts those numbers together on $40 million, it's not going to be good. I Just like what happened with the Rams and um, Jared Goff. I was about to say that, yeah. <laughs> like, a lot of these guys are getting huge contracts. And I know it was two years ago, or maybe a couple of years ago, the top eight highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL, none of them made the playoffs. So I think this was the year. This was with Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan. All these guys were on ginormous quarterback deals, and none of their teams made the playoffs. I mean, I'm a big believer of to be successful in the NFL, you got to be big in the trenches. So now for the Cowboys, you already paid Amari Cooper a big deal. You have Ezekiel Elliott on a big deal. Then you pay Dak Prescott a huge deal. Every, you're just going to see. Jalen Smith's on a big deal. After another, after another, after another. And then you're going to really have to rely on your draft. You're really going to have to be relying on the guys you're getting on rookie contracts. And that's hard to do. I'd rather go with a quarterback on a rookie contract to be able to spend money in other more controllable areas. Because I think quarterback production is the hardest thing to to predict. And I think if you have a great guy, like a Mahomes or a Watson, they deserve every penny that they're going to get. Watson, I mean, Watson and Mahomes, I think in the coming weeks, we're going to see them get deals probably over $200 million, which is going to be awesome. And they deserve it because they're getting their teams to where they need to be. I think Watson – Still has some work to do with that team, but Mahomes just won a championship. But Dak Prescott hasn't done anything. The Jets have won more playoff games in the last 20 years than the Cowboys have. These guys are un- – he's unaccomplished. So I just don't know if I'm going to pay an unaccomplished, unproven guy $40 million when we are already paying so many other guys a lot of money. Yeah, if you're looking at it from the Cowboys' perspective, like what you're doing, like we're both doing. And then you say this thing about Andy Dalton. I've watched Andy, a lot of Andy Dalton in my life. I know that he's a – when put with good weapons, he's a very solid quarterback. And I just have to wonder, what can you do if you have Andy Dalton for a year? And then this quarterback class coming up, we're going to see throughout this year, there's some – there's some That's very interesting. You got – I like a lot of them. I like Brock Purdy from Iowa State. I like the big sleeper Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Yeah, you know. I can. And then obviously you have the top guys, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. But I think there will be guys at the end of that first round. So it's but what's like, wrong? I think they could get Andy Dalton four years. Andy Dalton has a great year this year. Andy Dalton four years, 40 million. I think with a talented roster and the weapons they have around him, he can get the job done for a few more years. And I think they can win a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton at the helm. Winning a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton at the helm? If you're going to tell me all the money they're going to save, they could go out and get a great free agent, and whether another wide receiver, another offensive lineman, an edge rusher, who knows what they could get. And another great guy on a really talented roster with a competent quarterback can win a Super Bowl. And I think it's, it's, it's hugely dependent on I, – I don't think you can justify paying Dak before this year. He might bully them into doing that because Jerry, jo- Jerry Jones – He's going to. He's going to. I think, think that I'm going to lock the whole I'm – I know I'm almost certain that in we're going to see a, a deal come very soon, $35, $40 million. Jerry pays his guys and what he does, and that's why they haven't been so successful in the last 20 years. But he's going to pay his guy, and it's just not going to be a good situation there. I agree with you. It's gonna, it's, it could get ugly because then when you have all these guys making a ton of money and things don't work out, you have Mike McCarthy at the helm. I'm not sold on him. 
I like him, but I like him, but you know, we've had the issues in Green Bay with a talented roster. It's not I wouldn't put it I wouldn't say he's a, a fix all. So it's just like but I don't know if the if the Cowboys can stomach the error of Dak. They seem to love him. Jerry Jones well, that, that, that's that's the problem they have. And that's and that's why they're an unsuccessful franchise recently. And and like you said, the stats were solid. And then you look at and in the games that they needed, I not that I think I would ever be comfortable. I wouldn't even be comfortable paying Dak Prescott what they paid him in the first in the initial offer. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Eh, He's maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. That's it's, I, if I was the general manager, I wouldn't be doing that. But I think that I don't have a problem paying the guy you like, the guy around there, and you're paying him $30 million, but guys, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff have been paid. I don't really have a problem like that. But for Dak Prescott to reset the market, I don't know if Dak Prescott should be the highest paid player in NFL history. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, so, it's such an interesting situation. And, you know, Dak just hasn't done it in the big games. What has he done? Last year, they had that huge game against Green Bay. He was, he was bad. They had the big game against uh, Buffalo on Thanksgiving. He was average. They had the game against Philadelphia week 16. It was the big one, and that was the biggest one. That was the big one. You're away. You're on the road. That one would have gotten them into the playoffs. And you, you play a stinker against probably the worst secondary in football. Yeah. The, the Eagles secondary was terrible last year. And he and Dak Prescott was bad. He, he did nothing. I mean, he wasn't bad. He didn't throw any picks, but he didn't throw any touchdowns. He didn't do anything. He was disappointing. He was disappointing. very disappointing. And I just think that if you pay Dak what you're going to pay him and what I think they're going to do, that's their way of saying we think the guys we have in this locker room right now can win us a Super Bowl in the next three years. And do you, do you think that? I think that's really what it boils down to. If they sign Dak Prescott, can they win a Super Bowl in the next three years with the roster they have now without making any big acquisitions through free agency? It's tough because I like they were, they were They were 8-8 eight, eight eight this year. They had a great draft. I think they had a really good free agency, but I, I, I can't say that I'd ever favor them in the next – obviously, we don't know what's going to happen around, but I wouldn't put them as the fit. But it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's not too far off because who is the powers in the NFC? You have the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not sold on them. Seahawks, they're a great team. I think they stay really good, but they're beatable. Both of those teams are beatable, I'd say. Tampa Bay, New Orleans. Both have really old quarterbacks. Minnesota. Really, I think Minnesota is the most similar team to Dallas. I think really, really talented rosters, questionable quarterback play. Yeah, so it's it's. I think it's it's made. But there's a lot of teams though. There's a lot of really competent teams there, and even Philadelphia in the division is very talented. Mm -hmm. They're not a lock to win the division, and they're definitely not a lock to win a Super Bowl in the next three years. You really have to be obviously nobody's a lock to ever win a Super Bowl in the NFL. But they're not a lock to be the favorite, the team to beat. And I think if you're paying them that, you're banking on you got on your team being the team to be beat. No, I don't. I think the team to beat. I think that it's really, really hard to even be the team to beat or to get a guaranteed Super Bowl. This is the NFL, which is unlike any other league. But are they in the Super Bowl bubble? Are they in one of the five or six teams that can win a Super Bowl? I I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I agree. I think they might be on the fringes, but I don't know if they're there yet. And then this season will tell us a lot. But it might be too late because they might go on and pay him and then realize. Yeah. It's just well, – yeah. Hopefully that just for the sake of the Dallas Cowboys, they can wait a year and see how this season goes and pay him. And I think that he's being a little greedy. And if he wants to take his $30 million now, he should do that. But if he wants to get paid $40 million, he has to come out and perform this season. And if he does, he'll get paid every penny that he earns. Claire, it was the season for him to show out it's this year. You have a great receiving core. You got all your guys back. They kept Amari Cooper from some competitive offers. Obviously, retained Zeke. Defense is good. This is this. I think this is the team that the Cowboys can really see. They, they, you gave him a good situation. What's he going to do with it? Absolutely. And it was interesting that you mentioned the uh, Minnesota Vikings. That was a little uh, foreshadowing, if you will, because we're now going to do our play our favorite game, which is the uh, over under game. And Jake, I, I got to tell you something. I'm really not feeling the Vikings this year. Uh, I don't like them. I, I like. Them. I like Kirk Cousins. I've, oh, I, I'm, I'm very neutral about Kirk Cousins because sometimes I could watch him play and be like, man, I really like that guy. And sometimes I watch him play and I'm like, I don't know. 
But I think that Kirk Cousins is going to have a good year this year. I think he's going to take the momentum from the New Orleans playoff win, which was the biggest win of his career. He's going to lead a good season for what I think might be the most talented roster in the NFL. Great running back, Adam Thielen. I think they had a really good draft. I really, really like what they can do this year. I mean, I don't think they're that – I think that's a stretch. I mean, I thought a lot went right for them last year, and they still went 10-6. and six. Just to tell you guys, we didn't say it yet. The Vikings are at nine wins, which is – you have the – for in that division, it's interesting. You have the Vikings at nine, the Bears eight and a half, the Packers at nine. Yeah. And Detroit, who I don't think will be bad, at six and a half. I like that division a lot. I think there's a lot of talent there, which kind of factors into me picking the under. And for Kirk Cousins, I think we saw the best out of Kirk Cousins last year. He was near 70% completion. He threw 26 touchdowns, only six picks. He didn't have Stefan Diggs yelling at him too much, and that's always a good sign. <laughs> you know, well, do you, who's the only quarterback in the NFL since 2015 to throw 25 touchdown passes every single year? I'm guessing Kirk Cousins. Good guess. Guy's been the model of consistency. He's been the model of consistency, but he hasn't been without his bad years. He's had some years where he's thrown more picks. He's had years with worse completion percentage. This, I think this is the best Kirk Cousins you'll see at this point. I think – and I just – the receiver the, – the weapons concern me because I love Adam Thielen, obviously. And I know that Stefan Diggs was unhappy and you kind of had to get rid of him. But now – Well, they, they scooped up Jefferson in the draft, who has been – who was really, really good at LSU. Obviously, it's going to be a hard transition for him leaving that offense. But I think that that's another great weapon that they have. I mean, so, it's going to be hard from going from Joe Burrow to Kirk Cousins, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I like Minnesota. I, I don't think Minnesota's a Super Bowl team, but I think that they're going to be 10-6. and six. I think that they could be similar to what they were last year. And That's I just think, what I think. For me, I think it's a, you go, you go. Sorry about that. But um, for me, it's a pusher barely under, and I'm just going under because, like I said, I, I, it's also the help. I love Dalvin Cook. I had him in fantasy last year. He really, he really did great. But – He's, this was the first year that he was on the field for a long time. I, it's hard to bank on his health. And then Adam Thielen was kind of banged up last year. If Thielen get if if they have if Thielen or Jefferson gets hurt, if one of those or Jefferson is not ready to make the transition the first year, which is very possible. I mean, it happens. You know, a lot of for being a first year receiver and being the second target is a hard thing to do. They have no depth. That offense is really. No, yeah, but I, I don't think we can really get, like, bank on injuries. Like, I think that we have to make no, up no, 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 no. hoping everyone stays healthy. Obviously. obviously, if your great players get injured, you're in trouble. So, But I, I think that I just can't see this team with the talent they have going 8-8. Eight and eight. I could definitely see 9-7, and seven, but I think they're going to get to 10 wins. 10-6 and six is my prediction for them. Okay. But I just – another thing where I'm concerned is – I think that, that that an offense that was eighth in points last year, I think that goes down. I think you have some areas of regression. I don't know how good Kirk is. I don't know how good Dal. I don't know if Dalvin goes up or down. I, I think he'll be good, not as good as last year. And then the defense is where I'm a little concerned because you have some star power. Daniel Hunter, beast. Harrison Smith, beast. Anthony Barr, he spurned the Jets, made all my Jet fan friends very mad, so he's a beast for that. But – um. You know, he's also just a very good player. But then that secondary, it might be like Swiss cheese for uh, for some quarterbacks. You know, it wasn't great last year, and then you lost a lot. You lost Xavier Rhodes, who probably was a good loss. He struggled last year. Then you lost Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes, two really solid players. And, again, this defense was elite last year. They were fifth in points allowed. I don't see them doing that again. Really they can get to the quarterback, though. I think I'm going to take an, a good front seven over a secondary. If you could get to the quarterback, like they can with the guys they have. You don't really need so much to have a great secondary. You need a competent secondary. But if the quarterback doesn't have a lot of time to throw, I think any cornerback at the NFL level can guard for two or three seconds. Yeah, and but I also think that the important thing here for me is a schedule. And you're, I'm going to say it first, and you're going to say this is an easy schedule. But So they do play the AFC South, which is welcome, because if you're going to play a division yeah. in the AFC, you'd probably pick the AFC South, maybe the AFC East. I'd probably pick the AFC East over the AFC South. But yeah, the AFC South is definitely a lot of beatable teams. There are four beatable teams there. There are four beatable teams, but they're also – I think the Jaguars are going to be pretty rough this year. But I think they're also three solid teams, you know. And the, the issue where they kind of got gypped a little bit is all their hard – they got a lot of easy games at home and hard games on the road. 
They're going to Seattle. You're going to Seattle. They're going to uh, New Orleans. They're going to Tampa Bay. They're going to Indianapolis. They're going to uh, New Orleans. So it's just uh, they're going to Houston. Like, uh, most of their tough opponents are away, and I don't know how many games they can win there. It's it's a tough play. They're playing in a bunch of tough places, and it's like their schedule has – But they can run the ball. If you can run the ball, you're going to be good on the road. It's really hard to throw the ball on the road, and I think Kirk Cousins will struggle in those games. But Dalvin Cook is going to be able to play well on the road. I think that he's going to be able to go into Indianapolis and go into Houston and have big games and get those some tough road wins that they need to get to those 10 wins. Mm-hmm. Also, it's, it's really hard for us and anybody else who's doing this trying to predict because what, where does home field advantage go? Absolutely. Like, does that I think we have to talk like we'll get a real NFL season. Am I confident in that? No, but I think that's what we'll have to talk about until yeah, otherwise determined. Yeah. So we've talked a bunch of NFL, and uh, one thing we want to hit on is uh, where is Brooklyn at? Are they going to acquire another star, and is his name Bradley Beal? Jake, let me hear. I don't think so. I think that they have the two core guys that they have. They have two bucket getters. I think that they need to acquire some other guys who can score and defend and do some stuff. But I don't think they're getting another star. I think Bradley Beal staying put in Washington. I think with John Wall coming back, that was a very prominent backcourt just a couple of years ago. And I've heard John Wall looks really, really well through his workouts. And I think if you get a healthy John Wall and a healthy Bradley Beal, and a, who knows another third guy on that team that they could sign, that's definitely a contender in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think that I think it's uh, might be a little bit of a stretch to call them a like real. I think they're a playoff contender. I don't know. Yeah, a playoff contender, kind of like a five through eight seed team. Yeah, but I think that there's also when you look at it from the Wizards' uh, perspective, I think you're right. I think that they. I don't think they signed Bradley Beal just to not let him have a chance to play with John Wall again. Maybe if things are getting darn really going well, you could he could be a trade deadline candidate. Absolutely, I could see that. I could see that, but I don't. Yes, I agree. But from the from the Nets' perspective, listen, Kyrie, it, it was a bad year for him. He was injured for most of the year. He, the Nets were only eight and twelve when he was on the court. He only played twenty games. And then obviously, you have you're working back Durant from the injury. Mm-hmm. I feel like Bradley Beal, if the Nets really go all in for him, he's a steady guy. You know, he can just get buckets. He's been in, and he'll be so happy to be in a situation where he's supported because the last two years, ever since John Wall was out for the season, I think. December of two, uh, December of 2018 was when he had that uh, Achilles injury. It's been it's been the Bradley Beal show, and there the it's been there's been nobody else. I mean, he he averaged 30 points a game this year and didn't get into the All Star game. He's he's by himself on an island. Not that many people are watching him, and he's probably very tired of it. And then when when they he was quoted saying. Um, that he kind of took it as a sign of respect. He said, yeah. it's interesting to me. I look at it as a sign of respect that I've been doing good things and guys want to play with me. And while that's not – that obviously doesn't scream trade me, trade request, it is interesting, you know, that he wasn't – that he wasn't like, I, I'm committed to Washington, which he has said before. So it's just an interesting situation there. I agree. I think that – I think – I see him in Washington, but I think that if the Nets struggle throughout the first half of the season and the Wizards struggle throughout the first half of the season, I could definitely see a trade. But if Kyrie and Kevin Durant come back to be Kyrie and Kevin Durant, there's no need to acquire a third score. And if John Wall comes back to be John Wall and that Wizards team picks up where they left picks up where they left off two years ago, they're, they're obviously not going to move Bradley Beal. So I think obviously if things kind of spur off the tracks for both of those teams, a trade would be a very good thing. But I think that the Nets at least are going to be very well off to start the season and not going to need another score. Mm-hmm. And I think for the Nets also, it's what are you going to have to give up? If you have to give up Karis LeVert and Dinwiddie, those are two really good players. And picks, yeah. And picks. Maybe you have to give up Jared Allen, a very promising center. Like it's, He's it's not going to be cheap. It's not, yeah, Bradley Beal will not be cheap. He's on a two, it's not even like he's on a long contract where it's like you're taking so much deferred money. He's, t- he's, only, he's got two years left on his deal. He's getting paid a ton. And that's another thing. If, it, if they have him, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie – that's that's like most of the. I think I saw something like it was like eighty eight percent of their money would be yeah. those three players. Yeah, I think, and I think they'd have to move. Prob. I think it would be Dinwiddie, a first, Allen, and Levert. So I think that they would be giving up kind of all the other talent they have. So it would literally be those three guys 
against the world without getting any free agent help. They'd be losing a first-round draft pick. And I still, I'd like the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Celtics over that team unless Kevin Durant comes back to 100%, which I don't You're saying that, a, that you would put those, those three together as a course fourth among those teams? Because I, I if you have all three of those guys healthy, I, I could, I'd put them second or first. I mean, I understand off, the supporting cast. I understand no the supporting three of those guys are healthy. There's, there's, there's just no way. The injuries Kyrie Irving had, Bradley Beal has been pretty healthy, but he's battled injuries and coming off an Achilles injury. It's just, it would, I'd be very, very surprised if we see all three of those guys healthy and back to normal at the same time. It's just not going to happen. I think for sure Kevin Durant will never see the same Kevin Durant again. And even if they are healthy, it's still really, really hard to win games in the NBA with only three players. When you're playing a team like Boston or Philadelphia or Milwaukee who goes eight or nine deep and you only have three guys, like, I, I don't know how successful you could be. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's definitely going to be tough for them with the lack of depth that they'll have, but that core is crazy. Like, I agree with you. But those are three of the best natural scores in the league for me. They're, they're, it's, it's, it's not great defenders, though. That They'd be a very, very poor team on defense. So they, that's a, probably the worst defensive backcourt in the league. I don't, a bad deal is not a bad defender. He's not he's good. Not, he's, not, he's, not a, he's not a good defender. And Durant's a really good defender. Yeah, but I'm talking backcourt. And, okay. and Kevin Durant being your best defensive player, I don't know. And Kevin, by being your far and away best defensive player is not a model for success. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the Wizards will de- – I, I don't see a trade happening now. I mean, uh, Beal's agent said there are no Beal sweepstakes. That's why he resigned with the Wizards. Brad resigned with the Wizards because he wanted to stay in Washington. The Wizards wanted to keep him there. It's, it's going to be an interesting – I really – I want to see John Wall and Bradley Beal. I've always been a fan of those guys. I think they're both good players. Things haven't worked out with them so far. I, want, I think the Wizards would be well-served to give it another chance. But I think this is definitely something we could see. If it's not the Nets, it's definitely, it definitely could be somewhere else if the Wizards continue to struggle and Beal continues to get more frustrated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, that'll do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We had a great time. We hope this was the best one yet, and we'll keep coming to you. We'll see you guys next week.